Henry, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Welcome. Welcome to the third, third. third episode of The Gardening Show. On Radio Caram. That's it. Um, yeah. Tell us about the show. What do All we right. do here? Well, let's start off. Um, so my name's, my name's Brendan. And I'm Henry. Um, we are the hosts of The Gardening Show on Radio Caram, and we are excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. Um, we are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food, and just giving it a go. Um, we also help run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community. We'll be uh, talking about gardening in general, playing some tunes, and hopefully growing to engage with our listeners via call-ins and have guests and interviews. That's right. Um, And I'd like to kick off this show, like all shows, with an acknowledgement of country. And we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record, the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to their past, uh, to (laughs) to their elders, past, present and emerging, and recognise that their sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Um. So last week, we discussed quite a few things, actually, mm. which was uh, really fun. Uh, our favourite gardens, of course. Um, some useful gardening apps that you can use when you're out there. Uh, we talked about the second permaculture principle, observe and interact. Um, and sorry, that was the first permaculture principle, what I should it? say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the second one's coming today. Um, and we had a really Amazing story about a greenhouse in the snow, mm. which I have to just side note. Um, I did find it. Yep. After. Um, and it turns out it was on one of my favorite YouTube channels, Kirsten Dirksen. Okay. I yeah. don't know if you've watched many of her other videos. No, I'm not familiar. It's just a quick one for Do anyone tell. who's Do interested. Uh, this is a channel I've been watching for, I'm going to say 10 years, maybe probably thousands of videos at this point, a really amazing content creator covering sustainability, um, you know, small homes or tiny houses, um, interesting renovations, space-saving things, which is kind of sort of what we're talking about as Mm, well today. Um, But, yeah, just really high content, uh, high-quality content. It's this woman who does the channel with her her husband, this uh, Spanish fella, and their kids. And they just travel around and sort of meet people. Um, oh. So Kirsten. Kirsten. Or Kristen. I think it's Kirsten. Dirksen. Kirsten uh, Dirksen. Dirksen. Okay. Um, and if you search Kirsten Dirksen, uh, I don't know, tiny home or something, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find it for sure. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to go down some rabbit holes, highly recommended from me. Um, but, yeah. What are we discussing today, though? <laughs> yeah, cool. So on today's episode, we are going to be, and just also, if I can digress a second. Yes. Welcome to all the listeners. Um, yes. And, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. Um, 
So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about making use of small spaces. So our tips for gardens of all sizes, but especially those with limited space or time. Yes. Um, We'll talk about permaculture, the second principle, which is the capture and store of energy. That's it. We've got a little bit of a plant spotlight on amaranth. Amaranthus. I'm very excited about that. As mm. someone who has said for many years, I have to get amaranth in the garden and mm. I, I still haven't. Mm. So this is the show where you convince me I'll tomorrow try. to go buy some I'll try, <laughs> buy some I'll try my best, absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, and of course, we uh, uh, just lastly, we're going to talk about the winter solstice, which has just passed um, and what that means in the garden. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as usual. We love to take, uh, would love to take uh, calls and maybe not calls. We're not ready for that yet, but <laughs> messages uh, with any gardening questions. Um, and you can send us a text message on 0493 213 831. That's 0493 213 831. Uh, or shoot us an email to Downs Estate Communications at gmail.com. That's Downs, D-O-W-N-S, Downs Estate Communications. Uh, But we did have one question come through Facebook, actually, from Maureen, who asked uh, if Ceres, uh, the place we were, the garden we were talking about last week, uh, up in Brunswick East, is open every day. Um, So thank you very much for the question, Maureen. Yes, it is. Um, It's open Monday to Sunday. That's every day, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. From 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. I don't know if that's entirely correct. They do have a nursery as well, which I know is open until five. Yeah, business hours as well. So that might just be the other cafe or something like that, right? Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. According Um, to the website. But it's open every day. That's the main thing. Um, So just uh, after nine. Let's just go with that. <laughs> and thank um, you for the question, Maureen. Absolutely. First uh, cab off the rack there. So that was good to have. Um, yeah. So, and also well, well done here to anyone who participated in the Carom 25th annual winter solstice swim. Mm. I have no idea what this is. Well, <laughs> as I was having a look through around winter solstice and a and, um, bit more of an understanding around it and what sort of uh, – we'll talk about it a little bit later, but something that did pop up on the Radio Karen website was right. was uh, some short footage of the winter solstice swim. And I must say, well done. Brave to be venturing into the waters at these times of the year. There you go. Also, oh, similar to the one that they do for Dark Mofo in – Hobart. I'm ah, do they do a swim as that well? That one's naked as well, by the oh, way. Oh, rock so, and roll. Um, good for those people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Well, before we get into the sh- the meat of the show, um, let's go to a tune. And uh, this one is Feeding the Family by Spacey Jane. Hello there. This is Andrew Tanner from the Woodland Hunters and Sand Pebbles, urging you to listen in to my pal Tor Larson on Radio Carum. Local, independent, community radio. And we're back. Welcome back. Um, You were listening to... Uh, That was, again, Spacey Jane with Feeding the Family. Excellent. Thank you so much. And you are listening to The Gardening Show on Radio Karen. That's it. Um, Before we go into our first topic, I wanted to share a quick search result that came up. Okay. So do you know how sometimes you go into Google, you'll start to type in something and it will autofill that response for Uh, you already. And... uh, I was typing in why is garden gardening and it said so calming 
afterwards. So autofield to so calming. Why is gardening so calming? A good question. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I thought, look, I'm just going to read on. And it said, um, getting your hands dirty in the garden can increase your serotonin levels. Contact with soil and a specific soil bacteria, uh, Mycobacterium vacae, triggers a release of serotonin in our brain, according to research. Serotonin is a happy chemical, a natural antidepressant, and strengthens the immune system. How about that? That's first question. What were you actually going to search when you typed in? <laughs> or was it just, why is gardening? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> an open-ended rhetorical question. <laughs> Uh, no, um, I can't remember actually. I was I was looking through. I think I was doing some research on the amaranthus. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, weirdly though, um, I mean, I kind of knew that gardening increased serotonin. I suppose mm-hmm. just you know being out in the sun and you know doing something enjoyable and and all that stuff. I had no idea that it was <laughs> partially due to a specific bacteria. Mm. That's wild. Um, yeah. Have a, have a look. Have a search online You're and right. see what how, you find. How about that? Yeah. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Um, um, yeah, making use of small spaces. Sure. So, um, you know, we – I think most listeners, I would assume, at least at this early stage, live around the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is a sort of suburban area. So a lot of the houses around here may have, uh, you know, only a balcony or a small courtyard – um, or just a very small yard in general. So, yeah, kick kick us kick it off there, Brendan. Well, a bit of a question, and I guess it's a bit of an open ended question for for everybody to have a think about, but also um, to answer in in short as well, um, just with our own opinions. But Henry, does gardening have to use a lot of space? No, no. Okay. In fact, I would think that in terms of space, there's certainly a point at which there's diminishing returns. Mm. Um, particularly if, you know, you have other things going on in your life, perhaps a family mm-hmm. or, you know, a full-time job. At some point, there's such a thing as too much space. Mm. Um, but I also think that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say, and having a really small space does kind of force you to be creative mm. yeah. and sort of think outside the box, mm. so to speak, when it comes to gardening. So, yeah, that's my answer. Perfect. What about you? Um, no, I, I don't think so as well. But um, I was, I was going to mention that there might be lots of situations. Um, you, you might be in any number of situations and it's totally versatile as to what, what that might be. But um, there's always a possibility cr- to create something productive uh, mm. and it doesn't necessarily need to be conventional. Um, you could build your own indoor hydroponics planter um, with some basic materials and, and YouTube uh, guidance. Professor YouTube. Professor yeah. YouTube. <laughs> so there are um, there are heaps of options. Um, it's always good to challenge ourselves and our preconceptions um, about what we think a garden might or should look like. Um, and I just encourage encourage everybody and urge everybody to think about the space and that that, that you have and what you'd like to try. Um, it might incorporate different growing mediums as well. So something like a hydroponics or aeroponics. Um, and that's definitely something that I'm super keen to discuss yep. in, in future episodes. Um, different growing me- uh, mediums and techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess another thing that I, th- at least that I think is wonderful about small spaces um, is, I guess, the types of things that you can grow in a small space, mm-hmm. um, which I guess work on a bigger scale, but, you know, bang for buck sort of crops, mm-hmm. like herbs yep. is a big one. Um, 
you know, usually no, low maintenance, I would say. A lot of them are perennial, so that, you know, a bit of don't have to give them so much love and attention, like a lettuce, for example. <laughs> um, and you only use a very small amount, mm. usually, when you're cooking. So think of rosemary, for example. How much rosemary do you really use? In a month, on a monthly basis, let's say. Probably not a lot. Not a huge amount. Not a huge amount. So you can keep your your herbs quite small mm, yeah. um, and compact and, and still get a lot of value from them. Well, how many times have you been to the Coles or, or Woolies oh, and then yeah. gone in there and, and bought some basil or some rosemary or some oregano or uh, something like that and it's been you know $2.90 or something where yeah. uh, it'll be a couple of dollars and the alternative, if you've got a little herb garden, you just walk out there, grab a sprig of what you need, bring it back in. That's it. No Love cleaning it. out the bag of sludge. <laughs> that has inevitably formed from the basil yep, sitting in, <laughs> in your sitting vegetable in the crisper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's uh, – oh, I think it looks like we might have a question coming in. Um, but, yeah, uh, some other ones I think that work in small spaces, you know, um, yeah, coriander does work in a small space mm-hmm. really well, especially a smaller, cooler space because mm-hmm. the thing about coriander is the second it gets even a little bit hot, it will bolt. And bolting means it will try to flower – and then create seeds, which is fine because they're also edible, but um, the leaves get really tiny and just it's just you don't want it to bolt really. So that's a good one. Um, lettuce is another one. You can mm. cram lettuce in pretty tight, much tighter than the seed packet tells you usually, mm. um, and it grows very quickly as well. So you're not having to dedicate a huge amount of space. Uh, because it can easily replace itself. Yeah, yep. Nice and quick turnover um, mm. with lettuce. Um, always something great to have in the garden because when you, if you, to be able to whip up a salad, it's quite a doable thing yep. to have a couple of lettuce plants, even if, if it's the right time and you've got um, something like tomatoes growing and cucumbers growing. You've, you've got your three pretty good it's or even salad. radishes that's gonna that, that you can grow all year Definitely. round and and that's a salad in and of itself um then if you want to throw in carrots and celery the list goes on <laughs> yeah definitely um what about pots do you have many pots at home growing in pots um so i'd have actually put a few things in pots yeah. um there's a few strategic ones uh and those ones are raspberries um and jerusalem artichoke okay. um and it's simple because they tend to to go, to go and go if you let them go. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've kind of restricted a few of those ones, but I do have some herbs that I've just picked up and planted. So some um, curly leaf parsley, um, some uh, marjoram, I believe, oh, yeah. and something else. I can't remember. It will come back to me. Definitely. I think, yeah, the good thing about pots and small spaces is with a small space, what you might find is that uh, in particular in terms of your sunlight hours – you know, a small space often means maybe there's close walls or, you know, it might be a little courtyard. So you're going to have parts that are shady mm. and parts that are sunny. And that's going to change quite drastically during the day, during the year. So being able to move a pot around to chase the sun, so to speak, or, or get it out of the sun if it's getting a bit too much mm-hmm. um, is, yeah, really, really useful. You know, if you have a little courtyard, maybe don't build a garden bed. Yep. <laughs> it's not exactly going to work all year round probably. Mm. Yeah. One, one thing I did want to mention, we kind of touched on coriander and lettuce a few mm. moments ago, but um, just wanted to say that you know, sometimes people do have trouble with coriander. Yeah. Um, it's, a bit, it's a common occurrence. Um, and I was, uh, wanted to suggest try in winter. 
things like coriander, things like dill and lettuce as well. Yep. Um, some of those ones can be very easy to bolt, as you said, when yeah. it, as soon as it gets hot, uh, hot um, and it warms up or a few hot days and it will send up um, send up the, the bolting stalk. Um, so wintertime, less likely to immediately bolt, good time right now for, for things like coriander and lettuce. Definitely. Um, some other ideas in terms of small spaces. Um, potatoes is a good one because I think everyone, most people think that potatoes need a lot of space mm-hmm. because you're producing all these big root, you know, roots, like tubers, that's the word I'm looking for, these yep. big tubers. Um, but potatoes actually grow incredibly well in bags and in pots. Um, but bags is good because potato bags, there's specific grow bags for them, actually have like a little little flap um, at the bottom that you can lift up and kind of dig them out as you need them um, so not have to dig out the whole plant at once Um, so definitely recommended for that one Uh, raised beds of course would work really really well if you have a little bit more space or if your small space has good sunlight Mm. uh, and growing conditions um, particularly in summer is, is, is when I'd recommend that uh, and growing indoors you said you were pretty interested in in trying this one Brendan yeah yep so growing indoors so we're talking anywhere we're talking sunroom uh, sunrooms uh, indoor plants indoor hydroponics gardens um, when one one point to mention when we're talking about um, taking things out of the soil is that we do have to uh, have a, a way of getting nutrients back into the soil. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, back into the plant. Um, and so you need the the plant to be able to take on nutrients and and in a hydroponics or aquaponics. Um, aquaponics, depending on the situation, maybe not. But um, hydroponics and aeroponics both um, would need monitoring both of the water uh, and and being able to provide nutrients to it for it yeah. to be successful. That's the thing as well. Um, anytime you are growing not in the ground, let's say, um, nutrient, the required nutrients to have success increases um, because there's just not as much freely available for the plant in a smaller volume of soil. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important one. Watering is really important as well. Yep. You know, a little tip and trick uh, for Indoor plants particularly, but also anything in a pot really. Um, when do you water it, right? Very easy trick. Um, the two-knuckle trick, so you put your little finger in, mm-hmm. any finger in really is fine, uh, down a couple of knuckles and then pull it out. And if it's dry, it needs water. Mm-hmm. If you have a bit of soil stuck to your finger, do not water it. Um, the main reason people kill their indoor plants is not because they don't water them. It's mm-hmm. actually because they overwater them. Mm-hmm. So always do that. And, yeah, um, apply compost a little bit more regularly than you would outdoors mm-hmm. uh, for in, for anything in a pot. Um, I won't say use fertilizers. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, compost. <laughs> compost only. That's the only <laughs> fertilizer you need. So, um, yeah, that that's my little tips on that one. Awesome. Another big one though is growing vertically. I am hugely. Are you a big fan of this? Hugely one? passionate about this. Yep. I think it's great. Uh, I love the idea. Me too. <laughs> I love the concepts. Um, how do we grow vertically? So if we if we're in a small small space and it's a courtyard, for example, and as you said, the the sunlight might not be getting into all of the spots of. Yep. If we head upwards, we can often capture a lot more sun that way. Um, what sort of what sort of vertical stuff do you know? I mean, so many plants can grow vertically. So obviously tomatoes, um, 
there's two different kinds of tomatoes. I'm not going to get into this now, determinate and indeterminate, but the typical tomatoes that most people know are the indeterminate, I'm going to say, the ones that are trailing and climbing. Yeah, have, so I got that, have I got that the right way around? Yeah, indeterminate <laughs> will will go and go, and determinate yeah. will say at a particular. We'll height. stay like a bush almost or something like that. Yeah, so um, yeah, they can obviously go up, and I've I have seen um, in some dark corners of the gardening internet um, three meter tall tomato plants. Mm-hmm. Like it can, it can be done. Um, lots of different variety uh, plants in the sort of squash family. Mm-hmm. I think there's another name for that family. Kerbert or something, maybe I don't know. We'll <laughs> Testing my own yeah. knowledge here, I'm sweating. <laughs> and we'll bring uh, it. <laughs> we'll bring it back next week. And someone uh, message it and, and tell me uh, the, the, what the real name for the squash family is. But um, you know, things like zucchinis and cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can obviously have climbing varieties of those. Um, yeah, the legume family, very famously climbers. Mm-hmm. So you know, broad beans, peas, and, and all the such. Um, what else? What, what I like about uh, – also the idea of bringing things up to that height. Um, so yeah, not necessarily right. starting down the bottom. Um, so raised tier planters, you often get those three-step planters. Ah, yes. Often so you see um, some creative pallet planting ideas. Oh, yeah. Um, like and you'll have – Vertical pallet. Yeah, yeah, up on its side. Like strawberries or something, yeah. Um, we, we mentioned before, but again, I'm hugely uh, a fan of this, but hydroponics, aeroponics, aquaponics um, – if, if, if you've seen before the, the vertical grow towers yeah. with the net plastic pot uh, inserts and these have water that is pumped up through a central column and then it sprays mists or droplets inside the chamber and it hits the net pots and the plants held inside um, or from the inside and um, then the plants themselves could just be suspended and held in place by something like a rock wool or the clay hydroton balls, so the little clay terracotta style balls. Oh, okay, yep. yep. Um, and then that keeps the, the actual plant itself um, in position. It keeps it stable um, right. for it to then grow into. What's really great about that is just the plug and play sort of aspect of it. So it might yeah. be that you're then taking lettuce up to a top level um, or, and you might be able to rotate it so you know it gets even sunlight throughout, etc. So some of those grow towers are, are really quite cool. I can see you becoming a sort of mad gardening scientist. Yeah. Sort of, I'm going to grow plants in every medium but soil. <laughs> there, there's been occasions. I've, tr- I've tried a few things. But I must say it's a lot of it, as, I, as we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago is it's about trial and error. Of course. Um, yep. I did uh, with the hydroponic setup, I did, it was like a Donkey Kong sort of style planter where <laughs> it, it fell gradually and it was slightly on a slope with these 90 mil PVC tubes. Okay. And then yep. I drilled holes in the top and put the net pots in, etc., and pumped this water through as a closed system. Uh, and it worked really well, but I, what I did find that it was challenging for me to monitor and maintain the um, nutrients and pH levels. Yeah, at, that would be at tricky. At that time mm. with going into work and doing all of those sorts of things. So I think if I was to do it again, I would um, get a, a timer happening yep. um, and some sort of an alert system to, to help remind me and guide me onto it. So it was very much just a build project and experiment, but it, it turned out okay. That's great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, well, m- moving into another little thing here um, – yeah, be mindful, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, <laughs> you've written here, be as in the insect, be. Yep. <laughs> be mindful. Love that. We are keeping the puns rolling. <laughs> um, that productive plants, um, you know, so any sort of 
fruiting uh, or vegetables, I suppose, um, where you are growing for a fruit, so it might be a tomato or a cucumber, um, may need a little bit of help with pollination, particularly in a small space, mm-hmm. yep. especially one that doesn't have a lot of open air access mm. um, to you know the bees that are up out and about. So um, you can actually um, pollinate by hand mm-hmm. and it's something that a lot of people um, choose to do anyway, even in a big, large outdoor garden uh, because it can really increase your your harvest mm. and your crop. Um, but yeah, you can use cotton tips. I've seen people using feathers. Oh, like yeah. Sort of tickle plants almost. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, um, things that... I guess mimic the natural movements of small animals, birds, insects that do this pollination. Um, So definitely something to look into, particularly if, um, you know, everything else is working really well, the plant is healthy and strong, but where are my tomatoes, you know? Um, It might be something to do with pollination. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Often you find um, with fruits that they start, that the flower's there um, and then you might start to see the fruit start to form and uh, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily set if it hasn't been pollinated um so often those fruits sometimes it will happen with citrus and it's quite mm-hmm. easy to see yeah that if it doesn't it doesn't get what it needs and those fruit can then just not form and they'll just be a light they'll fall off or yeah, be tiny it. um yeah some other ideas i think this one's a little bit of a forethought but i just wanted to keep us thinking about this and um and to say what about growing growing using only partial light spectrums? Can that be can that be done? Um, what do you mean by that? So, so in a uh, an indoor setting, yeah. Um, then having the lights on. Um, often, what we see is is white light, um, but that's not. It's as not, opposed to a full spectrum grow light. Correct. Yeah. So, okay. uh, in, in fact, it's potentially cutting out visible spectrums of light um, that the plants may or may not need. And so if you have a look at some of the ideas of vertical farming, indoor vertical farming, you'll, um, there are a few of them now, which are using those methods. Yeah. And it will be red lights showing down or, or different colored lights coming down, depending on what they've figured out for the plants, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure there's more technical stuff to it that I can't explain right now, but um, growing in partial light spectrums, so just mixing things up a little bit. Um, and the other thing I wanted to just mention as well, we, we did before, but loving your insects. Um, yep. So what can you do to bring your beneficial insects through to your garden? Insect hotels. Love it? Love it. I love it. Uh, I went down a big insect hotel rabbit hole at the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I built a few of them. Uh, including one for a friend as well. Um, if you're not sure what that is, um, it's essentially uh, like a small, imagine like a birdhouse, but mm-hmm. instead of being for a bird or a bat or whatever, um, it's for beneficial insects. And that's usually solitary native bees is the really popular one, um, but could be any any number of things. And really it's just providing lots of little holes, I guess, where these insects can live lay eggs and proliferate in your garden. So any little hollow things that you can shove into this kind of bird box frame Mm. will work of a certain size. So usually it's between four and 10 mil, depending on what you're trying to, uh, in terms of the size of the hole, Um, what if you're trying to to attract. Um, So bamboo is a good one, of course, cut into little lengths that are at least 10 centimeters long. Some animals really like to get in there. Um, but 
other things as well. I think um, like straw, if you pack straw in Mm -hmm. and sort of hold it in place with some mesh, that's supposed to be really good for, I can't remember what, ladybirds, I think. I love ladybirds. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, if you just search insect hotel, how, or I don't know, whatever on Google, um, you'll get plans, you'll get ideas, and it's something that you can usually knock up at home in an afternoon Mm. with things you can just find around the place and really great activity for the kids, that one especially, because they can paint the outside of it. I don't think insects care what what it's painted like. So, yeah. some bright colours. Have at it. That's it. And that would actually be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, bright Mm, colours. Yeah. Sorry, I just – you can tell I like uh, insect hotels, but – No, that's what it's all about. Have you made any before? Uh, I haven't made any, no. No. No, not yet. Uh, we have one at home, but it was just a, a pickup from the shop and I walked past and went, that's, oh, right. you that's, can, that's cool. Yeah. You can also buy them, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I went full DIY. Uh, you can definitely buy them. Um, yeah, a few other little things. So staggered plant spacing. So, mm-hmm. you know, imagine you have a small garden bed and you've got a plant rose and you're looking at the seed packet, you know, what it tells you about the spacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might say, you know, the rows have to be 10 centimetres apart and the plants have to be 15 centimetres apart. So you might think the normal thing to do would be, yeah, okay, you plant five of them and then you make another row and you plant another five of them and you make another row. But what you can actually do is stagger each row Mm -hmm. by half the distance, if that sort of makes sense, and create almost like a more of a diagonal grid pattern. Yep, yep. And that's actually through the wonders of math uh, will allow you to fit in couple of extra plants yeah nice um so that's another little trick there don't have to make things perfectly square ever uh one that this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine is on a seed packet or when you buy a plant and on the tag it will tell you the sort of recommended spacing and in my experience that spacing is much too wide too Um, wide okay too wide i think the reason might be, you know, the consideration that they're they're making is well, what is average soil mm. like? What yep. are, on, on average, what are people's soils going to be like? And of course, poorer soils have less nutrients, so the plant needs a bit more space to be able to reach out more and find more nutrients. This is my thinking, anyway. Yep. Better quality soil, so soil that you've amended with lots of compost, that's really healthy, has a lot of a lot of biomass in it, has a lot of, you know, life insects and such, should be able to um, you know, maintain more plant life per square meter. Let's put it that way. And I've seen this in practice, you know, in really well-run community gardens that mm-hmm. use really good quality soil and compost. Sometimes you see plants that they're, they're twice as close as they should be based on the seed packet right. and they're still big and healthy. Mm. So long as you are replacing those nutrients, yeah, you know, with fresh compost, you know, twice a year or so, um, so you can always squeeze in more. Don't don't freak out uh, about what's it, what it says on the packet in terms of what you can what you can cram in. Um, so that's another little one there, and one last one that I want to bring up is uh, different methods of companion planting. Mm. So that's you know, plants growing close to each other that have a beneficial sort of relationship Mm -hmm. and that will increase harvests and, you know, reduce pests and all kinds of great benefits. 
but some forms of companion planting are so linked uh, that they actually plants are growing on each other. Mm. So a classic example of this is the three sisters. Have you heard three sisters before? I have. Yes, you have. Yeah. So yeah, uh, for those that aren't aware, this is um, I believe it's a Native American practice mm-hmm. um, where it's my understanding three, as well. Yeah, three plants uh, are grown in the exact same area. So it's corn or, or maize. Um, it would have been uh, beans. Beans, yes, beans, and Legumes. then and then a pumpkin or something or a squash. Yep. So yeah, some sort of legume and and some sort of squash, um, and Basically, <laughs> I think there's a bit of timing that you have to work it out. But you plant the corn, the corn grows, then you plant the legume. The legume uses the corn stalk as its trellis mm. to grow up vertically. And then you plant the squash in the ground, which grows as a ground cover. Yep. It keeps everything nice and shaded and moist um, and stops weeds yep. from pressuring in. So you get this, you know, quite sort of busy looking thing, but incredibly prolific. Mm. Um harvest out of the same space and if you pack a few of these in well you know i'm I'm, you're in business i'm super keen (laughs) to get a good spot to um to really throw in an experiment with the three sisters growing method i've not yet tried it though that's the thing but Mm. i've I've just oh it really speaks to me um (laughs) for some reason (laughs) definitely something i want to do uh this coming this coming spring and the last one is, was uh, hanging stuff. So actually taking stuff and suspending it from, from a roof or a rafter. Of course. I think that can be also really, really great. Great way to grow herbs. Great way to grow right herbs. Now, particularly yep. herbs that like really good drainage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, what is it, a mint, a thyme and, and a rosemary all growing in hanging baskets. Just the standard coconut core sort of yep. uh, hanging baskets. And they are going gangbusters. Sounds I don't do great. anything to them. They get a bit of rain. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> just I just let let them go. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that was a, a bit of a deep dive there. I we think did. We you did. And I, I think we just really went off with it. That's all right. <laughs> do you know? It's great. I'm unbelievably excited because we did get a question come through. Hey, shall we do them as they come in? Well, why not? Right. Let's give it a go. Let's see how we can go. Um, the question uh, is, and I'm going to say thank you. Thank you so much for sending this in. Um, any tips on how to stop rats eating young brassicas? I'm already on my second lot of seedlings. Yikes! So, brassicas. We're talking about cauliflowers, cabbages, um, broccoli, all the stuff that's happening. Kale as well. It's all happening right now. It's a perfect time for it. They're going to be all the same plant, actually. Mm? Do you know about that? No. So, well, not, not all, all brassicas, but, um, you know, kale, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower um, are all just one plant hey. that has then sort of been selectively bred, yep. kind of like dogs, into all these different um, iterations of the plant right. for different things. But anyway, I'm sorry. No, no, that's great. <laughs> I'll it's- go off on tangents. That's the thing. Um, wow. Okay. This is this is a great question. Uh do you want to go first? Sure, yeah. yeah? I've got uh, – because, in fact, this is something that I um, have been – it wasn't so much for rats. It was for the cabbage moths yep. and because I just found that cabbage moths were flying down onto the brassicas all the time, yep. laying their eggs, um, and then having to do the daily walkthrough, flick off the eggs or have a look and see if there's any of those green <laughs> green caterpillars on there squish. to throw them out and give them to the birds. Um, so what I, what I have – 
done is I, I went down to, I think it was maybe Kmart, and I went and got a whole bunch of those really, the mesh um, bins. So oh, yeah, like an okay. office bin, yep. if that makes sense. I know the ones, yeah, yeah. Um, waste paper basket sort of thing. Yeah, things, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I found the the cheapest one. It was a little bit flexible, um, so it wasn't totally rigid or anything like that. Uh, I bought, bought about five or six of them and took them home, planted the seedlings in there, flipped them over and then put a couple of tent pegs um, yep. in just to hold them down. And that created this little, it, it gave plenty of uh, opportunity for airflow and, of course, and, and water to get in and sunlight, but it was big enough for or it was, uh, tight enough holes for the, the cabbage moss couldn't get through. Yep. Um, and hopefully it would be sturdy enough to stop rats from, from digging through, especially for the younger um, seedlings. And then I think if we were getting into the they're starting to grow up a little bit bigger yep. um, and we they're not going to be contained just to a small little dustbin. Mm. Um, I wait until the leaves are almost just touching the sides or pressing on the sides and as I lift it off, it kind of falls over a little bit. I've heard actually of some people pull, tying up the top of the leaves, so folding leaves over the top yep. of, the, of the cauliflower or the broccoli. It's a good way to keep it white. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but I would also encourage and, and maybe have a think about netting or, or if it's in uh, if it's in raised beds, that's great because it will get it off the ground a little bit. Yep. Um, but uh, and often the rats will uh, and mice will get uh, just they'll be burrowing a little bit underground. Um, so if there's any sort of plastic, uh, if you've got netting or hoop um, hoop net rows, yeah, like a market garden style, I think that might be a strategy. Definitely. Have you got um, any others? That, that, that would be of? mine as well is is a physical barrier of physical some sort. Barrier. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't like the idea of mouse traps or rat traps or poison or baiting or any of that. Um, yeah, rats and mice exist everywhere. Just, you know, that's just the way that it is. Um, so just make it harder for them. Hmm. And again, the bigger your crops get, the less likely they're, they're to be affected in this way usually unless you have yeah. a severe problem mm-hmm. um you know but like with like with moths right moths don't really attack those big hard thick brassica leaves anywhere near as much as the young supple leaves correct right? yeah yeah so um i like the idea of waste paper baskets i think it's a really good idea or you know those kind of mesh cloches that you can buy i suppose mm-hmm. for keeping flies off of your seafood you know at christmas um another good idea and yeah if if it's if you do notice that there are, you know, holes appearing um, around, so they're obviously trying to dig in, um, what you can do is you can buy, you know, just that like hardware cloth or chicken wire or something like that mm-hmm. and just sort of dig it into the ground. Okay. And you won't have to go that far. I reckon 20 centimetres or so should do it. Hopefully um, they're not too that, prolific, these rats that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, if, if they keep digging down and they get to like 20 centimetres and they're still finding metal they can't get through i think mm. they'll probably give up uh, but yeah it's a battle that's just the way that it is i yep. guess yeah good question who was that from did we get a name no i didn't get a name unfortunately no. but thank, really appreciate it thank you random listener um <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to a song then sounds great all righty um i didn't get this one queued up so here we go <laughs> if you're the caraway just call me or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Tall. Anywhere Bayside, 
Just call Mitchell Tall. Buy a summer house. Just call Mitchell Tall. Mitchell Tall. Real estate. Oh, yeah. A little real estate. We want more. And we're back. I love that. that Are you great. selling a house? Because I think I know who you can sell it through. Uh, I want to listen to some Billy Idol now. <laughs> uh, well, that song that just played, uh, the one before that wonderful ad, uh, was When the Roses Bloom Again by Billy Bragg and Wilco. So, permaculture. Are we ready to do some learning? I am, yes. <laughs> um, so, today I'll keep it quite brief because this one is – Pretty self-explanatory, mm-hmm. and I think uh, a lot of us are probably already doing it in some way, shape, or form. Um, but the second permaculture principle is capture and store energy. So you can probably figure out what that's all about. Um, so obviously permaculture teaches us to recognize and, and harness the abundant energy that's available to us in the natural world. So part of being a good permaculturalist is to understand the flow of energy um, into different states, different forms, and how it influences our gardens. Um, and by doing that, we can create systems that are really efficient, they're resilient, um, and, and of course, sustainable, mm. which is the big important one here. So energy, what's energy? Well, energy is essentially power, yep. is the way that I sort of see it, I guess. Um, but it's the exchange of it's hard to describe energy without using the word energy. Yeah, go for I mean? it. No, no. The exchange of energy, I like it. It's an exchange of energy between um, through various forms to help things grow, to um, to warm things up, you know, uh, lots of different ways to look at it. The warmth of the sun, of course, the wind, mm-hmm. another one, gentle breezes um, that sweep through our gardens and help to pollinate, you know, that's another way to look at it. Um, water. Another really big one as well. Yeah, the way the water you know travels through uh, the you know the clouds and such, and, and rains down into the garden. So, in permaculture, we we want to capture as much of this as possible when it is abundant, so that when it is not abundant anymore and it's scarce, we have it there to use, as opposed to having to go out and buy it or get some introduced form of it. So mm. a good example of this is um, a solar panel. Yep. You know, um, in particular, a solar panel with a battery is the best way to look at it. Uh, when it's sunny, we, you know, harness yep. that that energy, put it into a battery, and then at nighttime or when it's cloudy, we don't have to dip into the grid. We can just use what's in our battery first. Yep. So, um, you know, gardens in a way are solar panels, Right. Leaves photosynthesize, mm-hmm. they use sunlight, uh, plants use sunlight, of course, to grow, uh, to create sugars and to, you know, do their thing. Um, so how we orient our garden, of course, is a part of this. In the Southern Hemisphere, we typically want to have it oriented north uh, or having a better way to put it is, is facing the northern sky mm-hmm. as much as possible um, to get as much sunlight as possible. Um, but also we can incorporate reflective surfaces. So one, uh, one, I guess one, uh, one anecdote that I've heard uh, in the permaculture world is um, uh, a guy called Adam Grubb, 
who he runs a company called Very Edible Gardens. Best name Veg. ever. I know, it's a great acronym, Veg. Um, I can't remember who it was that said it, but when they first met him in a corner of his house, no, it was his ex-business partner actually, who sadly has passed away, um, Dan Palmer. It had a, a broccoli, I believe it was, growing in a completely dark shaded corner of the garden. And the way he had it growing is he had a well-placed mirror Sort of just zooming light right into it, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's another way you can, you know, you're harnessing, capturing energy and directing it to where you want it to go. I've got this vision of Indiana Jones and he's just putting in the staff and turns it around and exactly. it's beaming <laughs> across. Exactly. And then lighting exactly. up the whole, the whole chamber. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would get before we got into like classic adventure movies of the 80s. Excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, little things like that. So how we orient our garden, how we redirect light potentially. Um, another one, of course, is thermal mass. Mm-hmm. So the concept of thermal mass is um, something that absorbs heat from the sun and then kind of radiates it out slowly mm. or evenly. So I can get into a whole deep list of what has more thermal mass versus what doesn't. Uh, but some things that do, you know, earth does, of course, the ground, stone does, uh, bricks, you know, these sort of hard earthy surfaces that you can think of. Uh, water has the best thermal mass of anything, I believe. It's right up there. If you want if you want a bit of this in practice, uh, look at the climate of central Victoria versus the climate of where we live here by the coast. I'm sure you would agree, Brendan. Our climate here is a lot more even and not so extreme, yep. I suppose, compared yep. to you know, inner Victoria where it can get a lot hotter, it can get a lot colder. Yep. That's actually because of the thermal mass of the bay. Right, okay. Um, so I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before and that's a, it's an interesting concept. This so is the nature of all coastal cities. And we see right? Swan Hill and Mildura and that sort of thing and they're great growing regions as well because they do get quite warm. But yeah. um, but in comparison, the temperature differences between there and, and They get wild the frosts, yep. you know, exactly. Yep. So, you know, water is a big thermal mass, you know. Having a swimming pool is more than just, oh, great, we, we can swim now. It can actually be a really good way to uh, to grow plants that require certain climatic conditions, you know, using the thermal mass of a swimming pool. So lots of fun ways you can get into it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, beyond sunlight and heat, I suppose, there's lots of other ways we can capture and store energy. So another big one here in Australia is harvesting rainwater, of yep. course, the classic water tank in the backyard. Yeah, how um, good it is that everybody – it's 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 common now just to I know. have it's the it's normal good. to hear with a rainwater tank um, and the utilization of rainwater tanks is yeah it's really good it's wild really because good. i grew up in perth uh where <laughs> perth has yeah you know, quite a dry climate mm-hmm. um yeah mediterranean you could call it and i remember my whole life growing up as a child um we had Restrictions, watering restrictions. Mm. Um, you know, I think it was two days a week you could water or whatever it was. Rarely did I ever see anyone with a rainwater tank, mm. which is crazy because when it does rain in Perth, surely you want to keep as much of that usable yep. as possible. Um, but anyway, yeah, you're right. We, we are seeing a lot more of it now. Um, I think it's really important when it comes to water tanks to actually to do it properly, like figure out – how much rain do I actually get, on, on, let's say, on my roof? 
Um, what is the potential that I can capture across the year? And how much rain do I actually, or how much water does my garden actually need? Mm. Right? Different plants have different water, uh, water requirements. You can go online, look it up, and it's, it's a good idea to take a bit of an inventory of your garden. You know, for raised garden beds, you can be quite, quite broad, you know, one meter of raised garden bed veggies roughly will need, you know, two liters of water a day in summer or whatever it is. Um, a two meter lemon tree will need X amount of water. Get this all tallied up and then you can work out how much water you can actually capture from your roof. Roughly speaking, a bit of math. So one millimeter of rain, and we of course use millimeters to measure rain, over one square meter is one liter of water. Yep. So pretty simple. So for every square meter of roof that you have, you can collect one liter of water for every millimeter of rain. So to put it really simple, um, you get your annual rainfall for your area. So you can find that on the bomb website or, you know, weather.com.au, whatever you use. <laughs> um, times that by the surface area of your roof. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can get up there with a tape measure. You, you might also just use Google Maps or something and sort of figure it out that way. Uh, times those together and you get your roof cap- catchment capacity in litres per annum per year. So, And you can, of course, make it more granular and figure out how much you get in winter, how much you get in summer, you know, all these sorts of things. Compare that to what your garden actually needs. And I can't stress this enough. Don't buy a water tank that is way bigger than you need Mm. or can fill, you know, because if that water is just sitting there not really being used, it's going to start growing things. You know, you want to really, you want to get through your tank, so to speak. You want to be able to use that water well. So, again, there's sort of diminishing returns for large, expensive tanks and how much use you actually get out of them. That's an interesting one. Yeah, again, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that way. But yeah. most people are like get the biggest tank I can. Yep. It's like, well, yeah, okay, but you live in a two bedroom house, you're probably never going to fill that tank. Mm. If you have mm. a ton of plants, you're going to use that water before you can, or or the other way around. Um, do you have a water tank? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not surprisingly, yet. what's holding you back? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. It's probably <laughs> probably something that we need to get onto. You can go pretty lo-fi as well. You can buy, you know, these sort of big plastic oil drums. Mm. Well, they're not – they're for olive oil, not not crude oil. <laughs> olive oil uh, drums, you can find them online for like $40 usually. They're obviously food safe because they've been used to store food products. Um, you can just kind of jerry-rig – your gutter to kind of drip a little bit off into it mm. and at least just have a big barrel. We have them down at the farm. Yeah. Yep. You know, really good for dipping in your watering can to fill it in two seconds. Yep. So lots of little ways you can do it without having to go out and buy a big fancy poly tank or a galvanized tank or something like that. Mm. So yeah, another big one there, water. Uh, but then also just one of the main ways that we want to capture and store energy is nutrients because that's absolutely energy, right? Energy for plants. It's plant food. Um, So the best way to do that is making compost. Yep. You know, um, whether you do that in a compost bin or compost system or you use an animal, 
like a chicken, for example. The great thing about chickens is they create nutrient-rich manure, mm-hmm. but then they also create eggs, which again is a sort of capturing and storing of energy yep. in a form that is really good for humans to use, if, if you eat eggs, of course. Um, if you don't, no worries. Um, so, yeah, that, there's a few ways. I said I'd try and keep it brief. There's a few ways that we can capture and store energy in our everyday lives to sort of make sure that we have stuff available when it's not as abundant. Mm. Um, My hope in the future is that battery technology for solar solar panels gets a bit cheaper. I think it's still at that stage where it's quite expensive um, and out of reach for many people. And certainly I don't want to be paying that amount of money for, for storage. But I think like with everything, it's going to go down and, um, that would just be another way that, I, that I'm sort of storing energy to use, particularly on those hot days when the aircon, you know, needs to be at full blast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's that's all I have today on on that one. No, um, I love it. So the Thank you so much. The the practical activity is to work out how much rainfall you get uh, from your roof and figure out if a if a water tank is for you. You know, that's so I'll, I'll take that on board uh, and we'll do some calculations because obviously without a water tank, I think I definitely need to implement something. Yeah. Um, in fact, I do have some of those blue kind of uh, 180 sort of litre style barrels, which have got um, uh, at the moment a worm tea sort of a brew happening. Um, which uh, is another way of capturing and storing energy. I was going to say it actually it made me think about it because I was I was uh, maybe not thinking about energy in the same way or context and and in fact it is all around us and in 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 all sorts of different forms and yeah. it's that transference and and how we can utilize it well uh, and effectively and smartly definitely so yeah um, what are we talking about next time so the third permaculture principle. This is a big one. Uh, obtain a yield. So the reward. That makes sense. The reward. Because at the end of the day, what use is it doing all this hard work <laughs> in the garden if you're not being rewarded? This is, you know, obviously some of us just do it for fun. Yep. That's, that's great. We love the process. Love the process. But at the end of the day, in terms of sustainability, community resilience and, and all these other things, there needs to be some yield some harvest some reward yep. for the hard work so that one will really be about how to increase the value of getting out of the garden cool some practical tips we kind of went into a few of them in the sort of small spaces talk but we'll go into that a little bit more love it no brilliant yeah. great um song Let's jump into it. Let's jump into a song. Uh, And after that, you're going to do a spotlight on a plant I've been really wanting to get into, which is amaranth. Hi, I'm Dr. Floyd Gomes, uh, a.k.a. Atticus Health with Dr. Floyd, you might recall, and it's great to be here at Radio Karam. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. That song before was Peace Blossom Boogie by Bay Brambo. Excellent. You are listening to The Gardening Show. You're with Henry and Brendan. On Radio Karam. 
Spotlight on amaranth. Amaranth. Yeah. So uh, talking about this plant, I, I feel every now and again I, I like to do a little bit of a dive into plants and, yeah. and just getting a little bit lost in a bit of the background, a bit of the history about it and also things that make them special and yes, unique. definitely. Um, I, I'm, I'm really – I do really enjoy having um, <clears throat> almost like the the – the backstory of the plant um, and feeling a connection to it in some way. So yep. going and knowing what you're growing. Um, yeah, so jumping into it. So spotlight on amaranth. Amaranth is originally from South America. Um, it's an old world plant and it has a huge amount of health benefits. Mm. There are ornamental varieties of amaranth. Um, there are variegated foliage and flowered with with flowered tassels and the the colors of these ones go anywhere from a green into a gold into a red a coral into a deep sort of purple um it's a fascinating looking plant um with the tassel leaves which kind of show the color yeah and then the seeds are inside of inside of those tassels you know those little bunches yeah sometimes it can look like the flowers can look like coral um, there's a, a variety called Love Lies Bleeding, which is can be considered a, a, <laughs> which can be considered a weed, um, but it's uh, again it's that bright, vibrant, dark, purpley, reddish colour. Yep. Um, it's uh, actually just jumping back a second. I just wanted to say, what does variegated mean? Um, and just to highlight that variegated is where you're exhibiting different colours. Yep. So sometimes when we see um, uh, variegated leaves, it will be a two-tone leaf yep. or a, a mottled sort of look That's or it. rimmed with a different colour. Um, so the amaranth plant is Amaranthus cordatlus. Um, we're talking about in terms of specific and details, I guess. Yeah. We're talking a metre to um, to two metres in height. They get quite large because mm. I'm – before I knew about them as a food plant, um, I always knew about them as one of the varieties of potted colour you mm. get at Bunnings, the little small amaranth ah. ones that, um, yeah, usually that deep purple colour. Yep. yep. Um, and then I saw the first one, two metre sort of version. I was like, whoa, what is this? Yep. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> yes, sometimes it's the it's the, um, more like dreadlocks hanging down. Sometimes mm. people will say it looks like coral, yep. you know, thin, thin sort of stalks. But again, the vibrant colour is really, um, it's going to grab your eye yep. as you're walking past. Absolutely. Um, the foliage, it's it's a light to mid-green um, or variegated, as we said. It's soft um, and the foliage is actually edible, edible. as well. Yeah. And we'll jump into something pretty special about this plant in particular yep. around its edibility. Um, edibility? Edibleness? Hmm. Yeah. Climate. <laughs> it, <laughs> climate. It grows, uh, it grows really well in temperate, cool temperate areas. This is where we hey, are. We are temperate. It's Victoria. Um, warm temperate, also sub- subtropical areas, um, and it does uh, do well in loam, so sandy loam, um, well-drained loam, and but also will survive as well in in poor and dry soils, in poor and dry soils. Um, but of course, it's going to prefer rich soils. So if you really suck at keeping plants alive, this might be one to try. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, position, uh, so how much sun does it need? We are looking at full sun for at least five hours per day. 
and ideally something that's going to protect it as well from strong winds because it's yeah. not going to have a, a hugely broad or stick uh, thick. Um, what am I looking for? Uh, stem. Stem. Yeah, and quite a heavy sort of head mm. as well. So yeah, they typically could snap. Yep, I would imagine. Uh, the 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 flowering and the fruiting is in these tassels, the the tiny flowers, which each form the small seed, which is inside, and that seed can be seed can be used as a grain. Yeah, um, and then just feeding and watering, n- normal normal stuff like any flower really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what makes this so special? So you can eat the stems, you can eat the leaves, you can take the seeds and turn them into a porridge um, by doing a two-to-one water, oh, yeah. um, water to, to seed. Um, you can ground it into a flower, you can pop it as a cereal and you can grow it into, oh, sorry, you can use it as a microgreen yep. as well. Which for those that aren't aware, microgreen... They're not special plants. No. They're just regular plants that you're harvesting when they are tiny. Tiny. T- and typically under five centimetres or between five and ten, maybe, yeah, between five and ten centimetres depending on the variety. Um, and quite dense as well. And quite- densely, yeah, yeah, sort of as a thick mat. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it can also be made into sweets as well. Um, so I did notice that there were some different sweets from around the world that used... Um, that used this grain, which was oh, okay. a, a pseudo grain, really a seed, um, but but very interesting. Um, so all of the plant is considered edible, which is pretty amazing. That's wild. I didn't know the stems, for example. I didn't know that they were edible, but there you go. Mm. Uh, I think probably with any stems, the, the earlier that you get them, if you're talking about stems and, and to cook it quite well. Of course, um, yeah. So it's going to be less fibrous, but... Super interesting, and the fact that you can eat the whole plant is is really cool in yeah. different in different formats. Um, you can actually use a small amount of seeds to cover a large area, so one kilo of seed per hectare. Per hectare. Per hectare. So they're tiny, they are tiny, very tiny, tiny seeds. I, I've bought them before at those sort of you know the places you go and you buy like the whole grain, whole mm-hmm. foods kind of places, and you get the big buckets and you can just pour it into a bag. Yep. Um, and I've bought amaranth seed before. And, yeah, super tiny, like grains of salt is how I would describe it, or grains of sugar Yeah, almost. Very, yeah. very small. Like uh, almost uh, when I was thinking of chia seeds. Yes, yeah. yes. Similar sort go. of look to, to chia seeds. Um, so it is, it's easily harvested, it's easily processed, and there's no hull to remove. In fact, uh, looking at once you've pulled off those tassel heads and put them into a bowl, especially if it's a small amounts that you're doing yeah. in, in your own garden, I've seen people shaking around the the seeds and all of the flowers simply sit to the top and sift to the top and the flowers are so light that as you're shaking you can blow the top of the, the flowers off and they'll just fall out of the oh. out of the container and you're left with the seeds by themselves. So it's a good way to and easy to get rid of all the stuff that you don't want. That you don't want, yeah. Um, and keep the seeds by themselves. Um it's a it's a its seeds are a source of protein. It's got quite a lot of dietary minerals, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, and potassium. Um, and also in when it's cooked, uh, it, it still retains um, quantities of, of dietary minerals, which is great. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, it is easy to cook. You can boil it in water, um, as I mentioned, so making it into a porridge. Um, it can be uh, popped like popcorn, as we mentioned, in a hot pan, and it grows quite fast. 
Um, the large seed heads can, as you mentioned before, they can actually grow quite large and yeah. they can be up to a kilo. Um, Whoa. And in, Whoa, yeah, definitely keep them out of the wind. So we're talking um, in that sort of space, it's a half a million small seeds. Um, when Sorry, I'm going to stop saying um. <laughs> the companion planting, uh, best companion plants for amaranth are eggplant, corn, tomatoes, marigolds, um, cover crops such as beans and peas, Amaranth is also great at providing a living trellis for uh, cultiv- um, sorry, <clears throat> uh, a living tre- trellis for plants that Oy. like vining plants. Vining plants. Yeah, that's right. I'm losing where I'm going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it can also be used for mulch, uh, and that's great when it starts to grow too large. Chop and drop, and let it fall back down onto the ground. Um, as we mentioned with those companion plants is when we're likely to, to plant amaranth and that's going to be in September onwards into the warmer months. So we've got a little bit of time to plant and a little bit of time to go. And where you can source them from, um, I've been having a look around. Bunnings have got seeds. They've got a, a red leaf, um, a Coolaroo red leaf and Diggers mm. Club also have seeds, which is a red garnet organic or amaranthus tricolour. Um, there is potential for nurseries to have some leading into the warmer months, as you mentioned. Yeah. And probably the only thing to watch out for really is the, the self-seeding, dropping its seeds for the next crop. That can be really great in a permaculture setting where you yeah. want it in a particular area, you want let it go. But um, in some instances that might then take over the garden and be considered a weed. Yeah, so definitely. Something to consider. Well, yeah, look, September, so... Do some research, look into some cultivars if you're interested mm. um, out there. And um, I'll certainly be planting it this year for sure. This yep. is going to be the last time I say it and don't do it. I'm, I'm actually going to do it this time. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got the seeds at home now. So I'll, yeah. I'll be popping some in and trying to propagate and get some going in the warm months. Absolutely. Um, great. Well, before we get into our last section for today, um, we will play another song and we'll see you after. This one is a classic Oz rock tune. <laughs> so, Waiting for the Sun by Powderfinger. This is Mindy Mawang. You're listening to Radio Karam. And we're back. Welcome back to The Gardening Show. You're with Henry and Brendan and on Radio Karam. That's it. So our last segment for today, we'll, we'll kick on. Um, we have gone a bit overboard uh, in terms of time frame, but... Having fun, so that's what happens. We got into it today, so that that's it was great. Um, we're, we're talking about the winter solstice. So the winter solstice has just been... Um, what is the winter solstice? Well, I was going to just jump in real quickly. You put on your jacket during the break there, mm. so very timely. Winter, mm. jacket, I knew it was coming. <laughs> 
Winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. It's when the Earth's axis is tilted furthest from the sun. Um, we were just listening to Powderfinger, waiting for the sun, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's um, it. Therefore, it is the, also the longest night. Um, our ancestors were really aware of this uh, of the time. The darkness obviously presented more danger mm. as well as cold due to lack of sunlight. Um, there's a lot of cultures and religions that celebrate the longest night of the year with rituals that often involve fire, light, noise, singing, um, and anything to lessen the impact of the darkness and to try and encourage daylight to return with the continuation of the cycle of the, of the earth. Yep. Uh, a lot of plants actually lie dormant during this time of year, um, but our gardens aren't, they're not dead. No. Uh, these plants that, that do lie dormant, they're often alive, living off energy that they've stored over the warmer months. Yeah. I think in terms of Melbourne and, and especially right around here, we're in that temperate, temperate climate where we, we're quite fortunate we don't get into snows. Um, we, we do get some frosts, but they're not terrible, terrible frosts. Yeah, that's right. Um, being also Bayside as well, that does protect us a little yep. bit. <clears throat> um, so we're quite, we're quite fortunate that we have the opportunity to grow stuff all year round. Mm. Um, and winter gardens are s- still going and thriving. And if I look outside at, at the green spot, uh, at the green um, garden beds at the moment, they're overflowing with, with stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, so they're definitely not dead. Um, as gardeners, we also l- begin to look forward to planting for the spring and the summer um, so we can start to reflect on what has passed and plan for the warmer months to come. Um, and it's time to think about what, crops we want to plant coming into the spring and also think about potential projects um, and different colour schemes and all sorts of different things like that. It's also a really good time of year now to to do certain jobs around the garden. One is collecting leaves that fall to the ground yep. uh, for use as mulch, particularly if you have, of course, uh, deciduous trees that, that lose their leaves during winter. Um, they should have all fallen by now. So if there's any still out there, don't throw them out. Don't put them in the green bin. I firmly believe you can use almost anything as mulch, um, but especially fallen leaves. Uh, and another one is um, grafting. You know, um, it's a, well a good time to collect, essentially collect your scions, the stuff you want to graft onto other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, grafting, of course, is the, we'll get into this in another show, but the joining of, one plant onto a different plant within mm-hmm. the same family um, to enable you to grow multiple varieties of the same plant or combine uh, a plant that has really good fruit with a plant that has really good roots, for example. Mm. Um, so uh, good time to collect your scions. That's the, the bit that you're sticking on. Uh, also pruning. It's a good time to prune certain things, mm. um, particularly as you can – see a little bit easier into deciduous trees and yep. know what to prune, uh, but also things like grapevines as well. It's the best time to prune. So, um, yeah, lots of little jobs you can do in the garden, even if things are looking a bit dormant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great suggestions. Sorry, I just had to jump in there because I was like, well, I don't know a lot about this winter solstice thing, weirdly. It's not something I don't often think about, but in a gardening context – yeah, it's an important marker in the year. Mm, yep. Yeah. Um, what's really what's what's great now is that being on the other 
end of that, when, now that the winter solstice has passed, is that the days are, are slowly going to lengthen. Oh, thank Which God. is <laughs> wonderful. No more driving home at 5pm at night and it's dark. <laughs> exactly. Um, and getting that extra sunlight in the into the evenings, mm. just from, from my personal thing, it's I, I really appreciate it because I can actually do something in the garden and, and not yes. be, sometimes I'll be out and I'll have to put a head torch on so that I can go out and because it's too dark, it's too dark to do stuff. Um, so it's it's very much about turning into possibilities now yes. and, and, and a planning side. Um, <clears throat> the plants actually tell the time as well through the seasons, of course, because we, we I, I tended to think not quite think about that so much, but of course they're going to have their own rotations and cycles and things. It makes sense, yeah. Um, continuous, sorry, temperatures do continue to fall throughout winter. Um, however, the hours of daylight can start to uh, climb. Um, and this is quite important for gardeners because the, the changes in the day length and the night length will prompt the functions um, of the growth of different plants. So some seeds might germinate while other seeds go dormant. Some plants' uh, growth uh, above ground increases while other ones are forming tubers or bulbs underneath, underneath the ground. Yep. And a perfect example of this is is garlic. Um, it needs the short winter days um, followed by the long days of spring and summer to form the bulbs. Yep. Uh, herbs such as dill and coriander, um, as we mentioned before, they do quite well because uh, they don't tend to bolt to seed uh, as easily when there's less light coming through. Um, and again, something we mentioned earlier is lettuce is too, is it's less likely to bolt on the shorter days. Um, so it's a time of transition. It's a wonderful time to observe. It's a good time to take notes um, and just see the changing s- surroundings. I, mm. I do love that we do have seasonal um, we, we've got four seasons. Uh, we had Crowded House the other, the other on our first episode, four yep. seasons in a day. It is nice that we get that transition. We get to see uh, plants without their leaves and trees without their leaves and some um, different colours as they go through the autumnal stages and dropping and colouring leaves and things yep. like that. And then, of course, spring when when everything's flowering and it's all opening back up again. It's really great to monitor that transition. That's it. I think we're really lucky here. You know, you would think... You know, if you lived up, let's say, in Brisbane or up in, you know, uh, that sort of more semi-tropical kind of climate or getting up that way, yes, you can grow certain varieties year-round that you can't do here. You know, you could probably pop a few tomatoes out in the middle of winter. But then there are varieties that you can't grow because you don't have that changing day length. Yeah. That, you know... Yeah, brass, uh, not brassicas, sorry, but uh, onions and garlic need for certain you know, for bulb creation and things like that. Uh, so I like what we have, which is I guess we can grow a variety, more of a variety of things for different lengths of time as opposed to a smaller amount of crops for a long time. Mm. Of the things that I like to eat, because of course, yes, uh, there are certain tropical plants that would be great to grow here um, that are quite difficult to grow, like mm. bananas. Possible. Yep. Hard yep. in Victoria. Yep. So it was interesting and it was going to be a question, Henry, is that have you have you ever done anything to celebrate winter solstice? No. Like, <laughs> no. A, like a cold ocean swim? I haven't. Uh, I would like to. I would like to do the, the dark mofo um, nude swim. Yep. <laughs> um, at some stage in my life, that would, be, that would be great fun, I think. 
But no, not really. For me, it's more just a time of bunkering down, comfort food, doing those sorts of jobs around the garden. And then someone says to me, oh, winter solstice just passed. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. It did. (laughs) Great. Okay, cool. The day's getting longer now. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's that's been the sum total of how I've looked at it. Yeah. How about you? Uh, no, not really, but I've definitely heard of things where it's, uh, you know, mulled wines and, and mm. that sort of wintry food. Um, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. Maybe I'll take you up and, and we'll go for a swim. Why not? We'll do Karim next year. Let's do it. Join Let's in. Let's do it. I'll meet you there. <laughs> um, great. So, um, yeah, look, if you have any, um, interesting events that you went to for the winter solstice, or any gardening go-tos, or of course, any questions that you'd like answered. Thank you for that one before, listener. Um, Don't forget to text us on 0493-213-831. I hope you've all written that number down now, so I don't have to keep saying it. Um, But yeah, we'd love to hear your questions. Um, And of course, any feedback. Um, You talk too much. Uh, I don't like the music, you know, whatever. All feedback is good. (laughs) Constructive as well. Um, But just before we let you go, um, we'll just finish off with one more song. Um, I couldn't have a show without playing a song by this band. Uh, It's not the one that's my favourite, but I thought I'd try a deeper cut. Uh, So this is a song by Dire Straits, Down to the Waterline. Welcome back. Very nice. All right. So we're going to be wrapping it up very, very soon. Thank you so much. That was Dire Straits down to the waterline. That's it. You're listening to Brendan and Henry on The Gardening Show on Radio Caram. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, it's been quite a long show today. But I think at the start you and I said, whatever happens, happens. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fun. I hope you have too, of course. Um, What are we talking about? next show in a couple of weeks yeah so just very quickly it did come through that uh we would say big thank you to jonathan for sending through the ah, question yes before. we got the name That's and it. we appreciate it it's brilliant um so on the next episode next episode is going to be in two weeks time um on the tuesday on at seven o'clock do join us yes. we're going to be talking attracting beneficial insects and microbes insect hotels again yes well, we, we no, might. We maybe might we'll move we on can, to another thing. We, we'll, we'll see what else we can do with the <laughs> um, with the beneficial insects. Um, we're going to talk permaculture principles, and that was obtaining a yield. yield. Mm. Um, we're going to talk companion planting. We started a little bit with the three sisters, yep. but talking about what what companion planting means and, and why and how it works. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk about survival crops. Ooh. Now, survival crops, we're talk, when I'm thinking survival crops, I'm thinking high calories. Um, and I'm also thinking, what can I grow to, to help keep me alive if I needed to? You and I should totally do the live off what we can grow mm. for a month. I would... I'm keen to take up that challenge at Give some me a stage. bit of time to finish my backyard, but then yes. <laughs> I saw I saw Epic Gardening um, doing a, a 30-day and yes. he gave himself three months to prepare beforehand and yep. then did everything off Just of Just grew the, a lot of potatoes, basically. Grew a lot of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but survival crops. And, you know, one thing at the moment is that um, things are getting so expensive yes. everywhere. What can we grow to supplement and to take that little bit of pressure off of our wallet? Definitely. Um, and of course, saving seeds. 
another big one in permaculture as well as survival crops. But yeah, definitely. Mm. Again, that's sort of the harvesting and storing energy concept that we mm. talked about today. Uh, another way of looking at that. Um, and the cheapest way to garden. Absolutely. Because once you do it once, it's free. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, yeah, once again, thank you so much. Um, this has been Henry and Brendan on The Gardening Show on Radio Carom. And we will see you next week. See you week. next week, yeah. Next week after the next. Next fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See ya.